Well, it's great to be with you this morning, and if I didn't get a chance to say hello to you before, thank you and hello very much for, for being with us this morning. Nathaniel here, and it's a, a pleasure to bring you the Word of God. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, would be with us this morning as we hear His Word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, happiness.com has this nice little test that you can take, or at least it used to. I don't know if it still does, but it has this nice little test that you can take to see how happy you are. And so we are going to take this little test and see how happy we are this morning. Uh, happiness.com says there's five areas of your life that you got to have uh, together to, to be happy. First of all, you need to, to be in possession of the basics of life. Food, health, uh, safety, security, clothing, you know, these kinds of, of basic things. Secondly, to be happy, you need to have good sleep. Uh, thirdly, to be happy, you need to have relationships that matter to you. Fourth, you should take compassionate care of yourself and others. And last, number five, uh, you should have work that is meaningful to do. So there you go, a simple test to see how happy you are. And I'd like to ask you to think about those five areas of your life real quickly. And uh, I don't know, you can put it on a scale of one to five. Rank how happy you are on a scale of one to five. I suppose if you could check off each one of those, you could say, I'm pretty happy. Uh, and if you can't, then you'd have to say, well, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm very happy. All right, do that real quick. If you'd like, as, we, uh, as you think about that, on page 8 in your service folder, there's some notes for this sermon. You can open up that and uh, write down a few notes if you want. And that one of those first blanks there is to say, how would you rate yourself? It's supposed to say rate. I wrote rater. It's pretty funny. Uh, how would you rate yourself and your happiness? Maybe on a scale of 1 to 5, or if you need 500 points, you can use 1 to 500. Uh, but how do you rate yourself? There's no doubt that Americans uh, expect to be happy. Is there? It's one of the big things that we kind of, we expect in life. We uh, we get it from the Constitution. We'll say we we believe that every human being has been endowed with from their Creator with certain inalienable rights, and among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Right? Uh, we we believe that. People should be happy. Uh, I'm more of a singing and a music guy myself, and so I'm going to look at like the, the Pharrell Williams song that says, you know, uh, because I'm happy, clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. Uh, clap along if you feel like happiness is the... What? Happiness is the truth, isn't it? Uh, I mean, we, we stick it into our songs and say, this has got to be part of life, happiness. Uh, it's an expectation that we have, and so it fits really nicely in with our, our study here of the great expectations. Now, I wonder how, if we realize how ridiculous this is. I think, I think many of us do quite often. We realize how ridiculous this is. Uh, how many people in the world can actually say right now that they've got the food and the house and the home that they need, I mean, or they have meaningful work to do, or they have meaningful relationships in life? I mean, aren't there just a, there's a huge list of people who would have to say, I can't ever be happy. It's just never going to happen. I, I will never have the things that would be on this list. Uh, and God, God sees that. God knows that. And today he, he hears that and he says, yeah, I understand that you want to have happiness. And so I'm going to give you something. You, you, there is delight, there is gladness, but it's a little bit different. 
And so he's going to use the story of Job for us. Job is an interesting man, a very interesting man. He lived about 4,000 years ago. Uh, and Job, he's really interesting to start off because he has everything that most people would say, this is what makes a happy life. Uh, if you look at the beginning of Job's story, he, he has a family. Uh, he has an excellent family, seven sons and three daughters. And if you're into family, you would say, wow, Job has every reason to be happy. And it sounds like they all still get along. <laughs> and then Job goes on and he says, I've got all of this money as well. I got all of this wealth. Uh, you know, in ancient times, of course, your wealth would be tied up in all of your livestock. He's got all of these sheep, these donkeys, these cattle, all of this stuff. Uh, so Job has what we would call success in life. And then he's got a great social network. We hear about the fact that he's super well known in the East. Everybody loves uh, Job. And, and so Job has everything that we would say is what would make you happy in life. And I, and I bet that if you looked at your own life and you thought about, say, that time when you were uh, playing on the basketball team and everything was going well and you really felt good about your basketball playing and then somebody came along and asked you out to a dance and you said, of course I'll go with you to the dance. And you were just happy beyond all belief because you had success, you had people to do it with, and God's okay with that. Right? God is good with that. God gave Job all of these blessings. In fact, we hear very specifically at the beginning that Job feared God. It, it says that in, in verse 2. Job feared God. So everything that Job has in his life, he has because he is in a relationship with God. And God has chosen to bless him with all of it. It's an awesome thing for Job to have. This is just part of God's grand story. In the very beginning of the world, God was okay with making you and I happy. He gave us a, a garden to be in. Uh, he gave them food and safety. He, he gave Adam and Eve a meaningful relationship and meaningful work with one another. And that's going to continue all the way to the end of the world, where we see that God gives people a glorious city to live in, and they've got still meaningful work, food, safety, meaningful relationships. God is okay with happiness. He really is. And, and that's something for you and I to, to take to heart. You know, I have plenty of conversations, and, and for some reason it seems to be a number of conversations with, with me, young men you know, who say, I don't think I'm ever going to be happy again. And maybe they just broke up with a, a girlfriend or, or something like that in their life, and, and they're bitter, and they turn away, and they, they walk the other direction. I don't want anything to do with that anymore it's too bad, right? But they're, they're saying that they need a supernatural working in their life to possibly be happy. And God says, hey, I can offer you that. I, I would be glad to offer you that. Tears and sorrow and, and sadness, they are part of life. And, and that's okay. But so is joy, or so is gladness and smiles and laughter. And so the first thing that we can take away today from Job is that, that God is good with gladness. Right? God is good with smiles. God is good with gladness. God is good with happiness. This is, this is all good. Uh, it's from God. Nobody has to be an Eeyore to be a, a believer. And if that's the case, then why does Job take it, God take it all away? If, if God is good with gladness, why does he take it all away? Because that's what happens 
The story of Job is one of the most tragic events. Uh, we hear that the, the devil came and asked God if, if he could take it all away, and, and God said, sure. And raiders and thieves and a fire and wind came, and it was all gone. And what it really gets me, and maybe it gets you, is how God handled, how God responded to the whole thing. When he's asked if, if he can take it all away, God's not angry. God's not upset. God's not anxious. He doesn't overreact and, and try to, you know, put a cone over Job and make sure that nothing happens to Job. He, he lets it all happen. And then when Job loses everything, God still doesn't overreact. He, he still is not angry and upset and anxious. He lets a bunch of friends, four friends, come and try to encourage and comfort Job for the better part of a week, and they do a terrible job of it. And God doesn't stop it or do anything about it. He just lets it happen. You know, and I, I think about all the times when, when bad things happen in my life, and just a few weeks, a little while back, uh, there were bad things going on, and I picked up the phone, and I called a, a confidant and a member, and I said, ah, oh, mentor, and I said, ah, oh, I made a huge mess of my life. It's just terrible. I've messed everything up again. And he said, why do you do that to yourself? Why, why, do, you, why do you blame yourself so much? You need to forgive yourself. And I said, okay. Okay, self, I forgive myself. Um, and, and, but you notice, what do I do right away? I blame somebody. I've got to blame myself or the universe or God or the fly that's bothering me as it goes through the room. I have to have something or someone to blame. And then the other thing, you know, it's not just a little sad. It's not just a little hurt or, or a little bit of a problem. It's a really big hurt and a really big problem and my life is falling apart. And, and maybe you're not so melodramatic about all of the things that happen to you. But look at God. And God is not angry. He's not anxious. He's not afraid for Job. He's not upset. Now that's not to say that God doesn't know sadness. God absolutely knows sadness. That's one of the, the hard things to see in the Bible. Um, you know, you see passages like this. Maybe, maybe this first verse catches you. It, it always catches me the story of Noah, and God says that he, he regrets in his heart making humanity. If that's not sad, that's sad, isn't it? You know, or when, when the Israelites are going through captivity, in a couple different passages, it says that God is grieved. He's grieved over it. God knows sadness. He knows deep pain over you and me and all humanity. He knows, he, he experiences it. He feels that. He's got this huge sadness in his heart. So when he's, he's dealing with Job, it's not that he ignores the tough stuff. He also doesn't ignore gladness. Gladness comes right alongside it in his life. Um, you know, there's this great passage in Nehemiah where Nehemiah encourages all the exiles coming back and he says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And he's not just saying the joy that God gives you, but he's saying the joy that you can have, that God has and, and he wants you to live in. 
Or in Jesus, when he's talking about you and I getting to live with God forever, he says that we can enter into the joy of our master. God's got this incredible joy. Or lastly, God says you can have the joy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a joy within himself, right? So there's, there's all of this gladness in God right alongside the sadness. There is sadness and there is gladness. And you know what we call that? We call that joy. How could God possibly have all of that gladness and, and look down at Job and, and let it all happen to him? I think about it a little bit like a parent you know, who looks down at their child in, the, in their crib. When you look down at your child in the crib and, and you're looking there at that kid, in one moment you experience an intense terror, you know, a fear. You realize that that child could be taken away from you at any instant and there's hardly anything you could do to stop it. It's, it's a, a really sad feeling. And then at the same time, you've got this, this sense of elation, this sense of delight, this, this experience of gladness that walls over you, just warms over you, and you, you can't stop it because you've got the greatest little delight and joy right in front of your eyes. And, and a lot of sociologists call that joy. And then you think, what did God experience as he, as he sent his own son into this world? Jesus, he tells us in, in Hebrews, there's this passage, this very strange phrase where it says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. And we realize that whatever that means, it's, it's so confusing, but whatever that means, that Jesus did what he did through intense pain and suffering because there was a delight on the other side and that delight was you and me. Or we look at what Jesus says in John, where, where John, Jesus actually describes himself. He, he portrays himself like a woman giving birth. And he says, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to go through this pain and this suffering because I want you to have forgiveness. I want you to, to have your guilt taken away. I want your shame wiped out. I want you to know that you are loved and you are accepted and you are so important to me. And there is no pain, there is no struggle, there is no challenge in this life that will keep me from you. You are such a joy, such a delight to me. And that's, that's what God says about Job. That's what God says about you and me, that, that we are his great delight. And, and, and when that starts to just wash over you, you get warm by it, you, you look at him and... and Joy, we learn today, joy, is, joy is, comes through the things of this life that's true from the God who gives them. Joy is not about the things, it's about the God who is behind all of those things. He is the one who has the true joy for us. And so today is an invitation from God to you to see him as the one who takes great delight and pleasure, and gladness in you. He smiles and laughs about you, and he wants nothing but to have you for himself. And that as you would get him for yourself, you would get joy 
that you have never imagined. What God does with Job is, is, we would say, is deeply pastoral. It's not about making Job think new things. We heard at the very beginning that Job never accused God of doing wrong. What we hear at the end is that Job says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. God wanted Job to see him as he is. God wanted Job to know that he delights in you and in me and in Job and, in, and there's nothing in all of creation, no pain, no sadness that he would not go through to have you. What a joy. What a delight. And there's an invitation from God here to get God then and to get your greatest joy. And as I was, I was reading this week and thinking a little bit uh, about this, I came across this example from a man named Friedrich Weineken. You can tell right off the bat, if his name is Friedrich, he must be a good German, huh? And he, he grew up in, in, in Baltimore, in Maryland. Um, and he's a really interesting guy, I thought, because may, maybe you've noticed a lot of people are, are very, they, they suffer from a lot of anxiety and depression these days. In fact, we see how many more people seem to that compared to, to before. Uh, and, and Friedrich was, he had problems more like us than a lot of the other people of his age. His biggest problems were his anxiety and his depression and the grief and the melancholy that just seemed to overwhelm him. And at the age of 27, he set out from his house to travel out west. And as he, he set out, he said uh, to himself, he said to himself that he was experiencing a, a melancholy or a sadness that he had not experienced in a long time. He said it this way. He said, for the first time, I felt like a stranger in this country. So he had experienced these feelings of moroseness, of sadness, ever since he was a child. Uh, and then as he went out, the, the sense of melancholy and depression hung over him. And he said it would, it would hang over him for the whole rest of his life. Uh, and so he, would, he actually wrote in one of his last letters, he said, depression or melancholy overcomes me in spite of the fact that I fight and fight against it. I am gripped ever more powerfully by its suffocating arms so that I am happiest where I had nothing to do with anyone. I actually have to force myself when I have to mingle with people. I'm happiest to sit alone in my chair and be consumed in my own foolishness. But here's the other thing. It was this same Weineken who, who would do this. He would carry around a Bible in one pocket and his, his songbook, his hymnal, in his other pocket. And he would travel across the country reading his Bible, first some verses, and then he would sing a hymn. And then he would read some more verses and then he would sing another song. And he said, sometimes the grace of God would so overwhelm me. It so struck me with joy. And one of the last things he wrote is, is he said this. He said that he who is no longer deeply struck, deeply overwhelmed by God for me and Christ for us is over, no longer overwhelmed by joy, needs to seriously examine himself. And I know you want joy. I want joy. I want this Christmas celebration to be filled with joy. And God in himself offers you and I a joy that will, 
will last through all of the greatest troubles and sorrows and trials and pain that we would ever have to go through. There is no trial or sorrow or pain that God in himself cannot overcome. So see Jesus, who sees you as his greatest delight, and know that there is a great joy. Get him, get God, and get this joy. Let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, I'd like to thank you today for offering to us, for putting out there that we can have a joy to overcome our deepest sadness, trials, struggles, and, and hardship. It's hard to, to find joy when we feel overwhelmed by maybe anxiety or depression and all of the other challenges of life. But you have placed before us this, this amazing promise that you are a God who finds delight in us, that you have made us a joy and a delight to yourself. And as we see your sacrifice to, to bring us to yourself, we know that we can have a joy that lasts through every trial in this life. We pray for this joy in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.